Hello and welcome to Interstellar Comms with Eric, the show in which I, Eric, reach out into the vastness of the sci-fi universe to communicate with creators of all kinds to explore the rich universe of science fiction. Whether it be books, television, movies, comics, games, or anything else, if it's sci-fi, we'll talk about it here. So open hailing frequencies, because we're broadcasting on all channels and about to blast off. Welcome to Interstellar Comms with Eric. Obviously, I'm not Eric. I'm his wife, Amy Elizabeth, and I have the privilege of introducing the first guest on the inaugural episode of Interstellar Comms with Eric. This first guest is my favorite author. Her name is Gail R. Delaney, and this is what I have to say about Gail. Gail R. Delaney doesn't just write novels that tell stories about characters. She builds magnificent worlds full of people, hope, and love that invite readers to be part of epic journeys. It is abundantly evident that Gail Delaney cherishes the people and places she creates and delights in sharing the freedom and joy found in the pages of her manuscripts with her fans. And this is what I have to say about her new release coming soon, Liber. Liber is the perfect ending to her future possible saga while leaving room for further glimpses into the future. Just be sure to bring extra Kleenex along for the most emotional, twistiest, turniest, stomach-dropping roller coaster ride that probably hasn't even been invented yet. But when it is, it will most definitely be named the Gail R. Delaney. Welcome, Gail. I am so excited that you're here. Thank you very much. I might cry after that introduction. Well, it's all true. You <laughs> you are my favorite author because you write about people. I love the way you write about relationships and the way you build worlds. And yes, you are a romance writer, but it's more about the relationship than the sexy parts. Can I say sexy parts, Eric? This is a podcast that's on the internet. You can say whatever the heck you want to. Okay. As I just censor myself. We're, we're keeping this kind of PG, PG-13 at the most, probably, unless we, get, unless we decide to get wild later on. Well, <laughs> I, I am happy that Gail is here, and I am excited to hear what you guys have to say about romance and sci-fi. Thank you very much for the introduction. We appreciate that, Gail. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show and being a part of this, especially part of my first episode of this particular project. Uh, with that introduction, I don't know that you need to say much more about yourself, but feel free to, to add on anything that you think the listeners should know about who you are coming into this particular conversation. Well, since we're going to be discussing science fiction specifically and romance and science fiction, I do want to say that I have been a lifelong fan of science fiction. I can actually remember being about seven years old and Star Trek was in syndication, the original series. And I would get off the bus from school and I would run down the driveway to get into the house so that I wouldn't miss anything because I needed to know the star dates. I needed to know absolutely everything about it. So I have always grown up loving science fiction in many, many forms. And I'm really happy to be solidifying myself in the genre of science fiction romance. And I'm very happy to be here tonight to talk about it. Well, that's awesome. Uh, thank you very much uh, for, for being on the show again. We appreciate that so much. Yeah, your your books are fantastic. Um, I have not read the second series yet. 
I have only finished the first series. Things cut, life caught up with me, and uh, much like this show, which got delayed many, 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 many months from it, when I initially con- conceived it, other things have come up besides besides reading. But I am going to get caught up, and the first series was fantastic. I really enjoyed it. So, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later on as well, because we do want to get into into that and allow you to share specifically your stuff. But we also want to have a discussion about the role of of romance in science fiction, because I think it is something that is quite often overlooked. In a lot of sci-fi, they focus a lot on the action, on the tech, um, that sort of thing. And what little there is of a romance, so to speak, is, is often clipped or forced or just just lacking it's a second thought exactly let's get it in there because somebody might be interested kind of thought process i think a lot of the times i I very much agree yeah that's that's probably what it is most of the time or it's just there to add that extra you know the, the the sex appeal um you know just to be like okay well uh, we, I guess we better have some hot people doing hot stuff on screen at some point or <laughs> else, you know, nobody's going to come see our movie. So the question then becomes the, the, the primary topic of the episode is when romance is done in sci-fi, where is it done the best? Where is it done well? And what exactly does that mean? Like, what does it mean to do romance well in general, but mm-hmm. also specifically in sci-fi? Well, I think that the definition of romance done well or not done well is a bit subjective. But for me, by my definition, when you're watching science fiction or anything that involves romance, I want it to feel both inevitable and yet not forced. And that's a fine balance. You want to feel like when you're consuming whatever media it is, that when you see this couple that they're building up, that you know, you just know it's going to happen. It's clear. It's there. You're just holding your breath waiting for it. But it never feels forced on you. It never feels like you are just, you just have to accept this because this is what we're telling you that it is. So good romance makes you hold your breath for it until it happens, but you're just confident that it will happen. That's a great, great definition, I think, because one of my favorite examples of romance in sci-fi gives exactly that. So um, I definitely understand that thought process. Uh, For me, it also needs to reflect uh, real life a little bit. Sometimes when you get these these romances in television, movies, books, whether it be sci-fi or other, oftentimes it just seems too perfect. It's just mm-hmm. everything Everything goes along swimmingly 100% of the time. As someone who's been married for many, many years, I can tell you that's not how real life works at all. <laughs> and it's always better, I think, for me personally when I'm watching something, especially sci-fi, where I'm already suspending my disbelief for a lot of other things. You know, I'm already setting aside the, the faster-than-light travel. I'm already setting aside the transporters and the, the laser weapons and all this other stuff. I'm already kind of removing myself from my current reality for that, I don't want to have to also do that for the human relationships that are happening or, or, or non-human, depending on depending on the sci-fi, which is perfectly fine also. You know, that, that's kind of for me, That's I, I want to see the struggle as well as the joy. So, And that's something that when it's done well, I think really, really adds depth to a story in general. And in sci-fi, it helps solidify it as being more 
realistic and allows me to enjoy the the more outlandish parts of the story because it's grounded. It feels like it has a grounding in reality. The human element needs to be realistic. And you're right. It, if, if it's too easy, there's no, there's no satisfaction for the viewer when it's too easy. When you're, it's just like, hey, look, they met. They fell in love. They got married. And life is wonderful. And there you go. It's like, it's boring. Nobody wants to. That's and not also, interesting in to me. I'm not watching a Hallmark movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. They, nobody wants to watch a Hallmark movie in space. That doesn't doesn't really translate to, to good science fiction, I don't think. Um, right. So that, that's what it means for me, I believe. I think that's a, that's a, a good way to put it between the, those two definitions. That's really the best way that we can define what it is that we're looking for. So with that in mind, and with the exception of your books, which we'll talk about later, because I think they fall into this next category as well, but uh, we'll save that for when we're discussing your stuff. What do you think are uh, an example or two of it being done well in a science fiction setting? Above all else, and by far, for me, it's Farscape. Farscape is my absolute favorite television show of all time, science fiction or otherwise. But the John Crichton and Aaron Sun love story arc through that series was impeccable. It was heart-wrenching at times. It made you laugh at times. It made you sob <laughs> at times. <laughs> but there was always that feeling of no matter what happened... No matter how bleak it seemed, in the end, it would be John and Aaron. And they gave us to that. They did, they did give us that payoff at the end of the show. But they, they did an amazing job with them as a couple working it into the entire arc of the show because it was a it was an epic show it you know it, it was not just this season has happened this season has happened it was a far-reaching five season plus mini series by far by far john Crichton and aronson are tops for me awesome farscape is on my uh short list of things i really need to watch at some mm -hmm. point it's one of those ones that i keep coming around to i'm like oh yeah i need to check that out and then something comes up and i start something else or do something else. And there's so many television shows, especially uh, on which I'm way behind because just other things have come up. But that's definitely, I'm going to bump that up to the top of my list for things that I need to uh, get caught up on. I know it's one of the ones that's, it's it's done now, correct? It's not currently airing. Yes. They're all done with it. So I can watch the whole thing, the whole story. <laughs> Absolutely. It was actually um, off the air before I ever even saw it. Oh. I hadn't watched it when it was airing regularly. It was one of those shows that got canceled very abruptly. And the fans lost their ever loving minds, <laughs> because they left it literally on a cliffhanger because they thought they were coming back. And then they were canceled. So they ended up doing a mini series for it to finish it up. Okay. And I was scheduled for some surgery. I don't remember what it was for, but my best friend was like, well, they're going to do this miniseries for this show called Farscape. I'm going to send you all the DVDs because that's how long ago this was. No Netflix, no uh, Amazon Prime. Yeah, I still and remember VHS, so you're, you're, you're not going too far back for me right now. You're at least at DVDs. You're at least on discs. <laughs> you're right. No, it wasn't on VHS at least. So while I was recuperating, I watched five seasons of this show and I can't imagine having to have watched that show episodically like having to wait a week <laughs> between episodes because i would have just 
lost my mind. It was just so amazing to me. And then the miniseries, they condensed an entire season into a miniseries because they had plans for it. And with the cancellation, they just kind of shoved it in there. So you, you're lucky that you would be able to watch it back to back if you want. You can binge it if you need to, because there's going to be episodes where you're going to be like, oh, no, no, I don't care if I'm up till 2 a.m. I'm watching the next episode. Some people have a hard time with the fact that some of the characters are Muppets. <laughs> but you forget, because it's a Jim Henson production. Okay. Yeah, so some of the, the aliens and such are actual Muppets. They're actually, you know, being manned by somebody that way. But you honestly, you forget. And the main characters are all human. or Humanoid uh, of some like, sort, yeah. Right. Your your more yeah. traditional sci-fi TV aliens, um, where it's just like, okay, here's a here's a person, but they've got an extra ridge here or there or somewhere else, and <clears throat> boom, they're alien. Yeah. <laughs> there's some of that. There's a big blue alien, you know. There's there's things like that, but they're people that they're putting them in costume, and then then sometimes the aliens are actual Muppets. Two main cast members are Muppets. So <laughs> I think forget. that's awesome because uh, sometimes it does get a little tiring when you're watching a show that's supposed to be about all of this differing life in our universe. and But everybody basically looks the same. And, well, obviously there are restrictions that cause that. You can do a lot more when you're dealing like in an animated space or in book form. You can uh, be able to describe things in a much more... Yeah outlandish fashion than what you can do physically, although the technology is starting to catch up. So we're starting to be able to see more of these less humanoid creatures being able yes. to be brought in to the more traditional television and movie space, which I think is fantastic. Yeah, no, I would definitely check that out. And uh, Muppets, Muppets don't bother me none. So <laughs> uh, it, it's definitely on my list and it's been for a while. I just did, like I said, there's so many things that are on my list and I'm yes. just like uh <laughs> for me a fantastic example I think is the the arc between Hugh Culber and uh, Paul Stamets in Star Trek Discovery mm-hmm. for anyone who hasn't uh, seen any of the new discovery it is phenomenal first of all I highly recommend checking out Star Trek Discovery whether you're an old school Trek fan or not they have just enough Tying into the original series and the they they bring it they bring bits and pieces in of the other series just to remind people that oh hey you know we remember we remember these fans over here too but it is very much its own story and if, even if you've never watched an episode of Trek in your life you can jump into Discovery from the beginning and still understand the full story and still be told the full story and the story between these two men that unfolds over the course of the uh, the first three seasons especially is just so so wonderfully done i don't know have you have you seen it have you been i have seen some of discovery but i am not up to date i know who you're speaking of though i i watched far enough to know who they are yes so So, unfortunately i haven't witnessed this uh, story development that you're talking about now you have me um so i won't give i won't give too much away but uh, i will say that you do see the struggles that I was talking about as far as the you know real life like these are two human people who are different people and so they have different things going on with themselves and while they're good together sometimes 
they clash. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's a there's a whole there's a whole another thing. In one of the seasons that I, I won't even get into that, but we'll say that it does fit your definition perfectly of the. It looks very much like things might not be going well, but you're just like the entire time, like no, 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 that it has to. They have to. They have to end right. up together. Like this can't not be a thing. This this does it doesn't work without them together. So it does that well. It keeps you on the edge of your seat, making sure you're rooting for this couple the entire time, and it's it's fantastic, and it's, it's very well done, and it doesn't feel wedged in. Um, it's very much, in some cases, a part of the story, as opposed to just being a thing that is also happening in a lot of the situations um, and various episodes. Their conflict, their either their conflict or their togetherness really makes for key pieces of the plot of the actual episode itself, which is, I think, um, fantastic. I, I, I love the fact that that's you know, baked right in there. It's not just a, okay, it's like, okay, we made the show. What are we missing? What are we missing? Oh, oh wow, we didn't put a couple in. Um, okay, th- those two. They're a couple now. No, it's not like that at all. It's very, very important to the storyline, their relationship, when it's good, when it's bad, either way. So highly recommend catching up. It's really, really well done. It's fantastic. It's great, great storytelling. They are in their fourth season right now. But yeah, I'm very much looking forward to the final few episodes of season four. They've been really building up a really good storyline this year as well. So uh, they've been focusing their primary focus on relationships on a different couple this year than Hugh and Paul. But it's still very much when they do put that romance in there, they are making it part of the story. And they are building that that struggle in. Um, this season especially, you're you're dealing with the fact that you've got this couple who's established themselves through some very trying times. They didn't start off uh, really liking each other very much. They worked through that to, together to, for some other things and kind of ended up developing a relationship. And now they're thrown into completely opposite sides of completely different situation. And they have to kind of make that choice between what they believe in, what they believe is right in this particular situation and their relationship with one another. So they have to kind of make that choice of like, okay, do I stick with my partner here or do I do what I believe is right because they both believe something completely different is the right choice. So that struggle between them is integral to the main plot of this entire season. So again, Discovery, I think, is just doing it doing it fantastic when it comes to that, to baking that in to where it's part of the story without it feeling forced. Big old thumbs up on that one. (laughs) Noted. Duly noted. So uh, now we've talked about how it's done well um, and kind of talked a little bit about uh, how that differs from how it's done poorly. What are some specific examples, especially of, and and this doesn't have to be specific to sci-fi, but in storytelling in general, television, movies, books, comics, whatever, what are some of the tropes or reoccurring themes that we see happen over and over again that make it what we would consider bad romance in a story? I know that I get hate for this opinion, especially in, in the book world and romance readers. I do not like the faded mate kind of trope because for me, when you have a situation like that, when one or the other is saying, you are my mate, no matter what, the universe has decided that you are my fated mate, it takes away all 
choice. It takes away all consent to the relationship. It takes away all buildup because what's there to build up? Because this other person is like, well, what choice do I have? You clearly aren't giving me a choice. Right. So for me, that is not uh, an enjoyable approach to romance. I, and unfortunately, it seems to be making its way a lot into what's being deemed sci-fi romance, especially in books, as they're pulling in this faded mate kind of concept. And it does nothing for me. It, <laughs> I see that I'm like, okay, no, never mind. Uh, no, no, thank you very much. So that's, that's one of my worst. It's when it's, it goes along with that, making it feel forced, making it feel where I like to feel like it's inevitable that they will be together. I don't like it to be tough, <laughs> you know, like right. tough. That's, that's it. This is just what it's going to be. I don't like that. To me, that's not, that's not romance. Something that's known from the beginning, especially if it's only on one side, and mm. that's that's really, I think, where it would get me is if it's one person being like, oh, yep, you're, you're going to be mine, and that's it, and then they just make it happen somehow, um, yeah. and you're just forced to just be like, okay, I guess, and yeah, I'd rather see two people come together rather than one person just being kind of forced into a taking mm -hmm. that square peg and shoving them in that round hole because that's where it, that's where it belongs. I agree with the idea that uh, it, it takes away from the relationship because you don't. It makes it feel one-sided, and a relationship should be two-sided at least. I'm not. I'm not here to judge. It takes away the anticipation because as much as when you hone in on a ship right that's what they call it right you hone in on that ship that you're mm -hmm. rooting for you're rooting for them because you have that anticipation for the moment that they both realize it and when you take that away you're not anticipating anything you're just okay <laughs> this is what it is all right so i like that anticipation i like that waiting for the build-up waiting for that moment when they both come to the realization that this is what they want, and that other person wants it too, and now we're going to work for it, and now we're going to do what we have to do to be together. Take that away, and I don't have anything to watch for. It definitely takes away from the romantic plot, <clears throat> for sure. So if you don't have anything else backing that up, but it also makes, even if it's the side thing, just for them to be like, okay, oh, yeah, we have some romance in here, it does kind of take away, again, from the realism of the rest of the yeah. story, which can be very important, especially in sci-fi, I think. As I've said, to, to help ground the story in reality with the things that you can so that when you do the fancy tech stuff or the time travel-y stuff or the spacey stuff, whatever, the st whatever stuff it is that you're putting in that's making it sci-fi, it makes that more believable. Because the base, the relationships between the characters is more real. Absolutely. If I, if you were to give any uh, examples of specific things, w w would you have any? Would you have anything? Uh... Well, you know, I was thinking about that after, you know, when we were discussing the bad. And I did think of a, a television show. I was actually talking to somebody else today about TV specifically where they kind of shoved the relationship down your throat and made you believe it. This show goes back a few years and it's on the, on the cusp of science fiction because it's in a contemporary world. It's in the U S you know, it's in, in, in our world, but it was definitely a science fiction show. And that was fringe. Did you oh, ever watch yes. fringe? Yes. Okay. Peter and Olivia. I wanted 
to want them together. (laughs) (laughs) It felt like it should. And they did. You know, they ended up together at the end of the show, but it just was so flat. It didn't help that that last season was just uh, the, what I, even the was that last just, season i I'm, uh, <laughs> I, I spent most of the last season going what, what? <laughs> what's what's going Although on i would like their travel agency because they could go from boston to like new york and back to boston in an afternoon and i wish i knew what cars they drove because i would not be able to manage that <laughs> that was a running joke about the french travel agency i mean i am a big fan of joshua jackson I'll admit that. So Peter, I was there for Peter, but they never convinced me. They made me want it. I wanted them to want it, I guess. I don't know. I just, it, they it, just rang so shallow, hollow to me that I, I didn't care. I ultimately yeah. didn't care. It felt kind of like just a situation of, uh, okay, they've, they ended up spending so much time together that they just, decided oh hey you know what the heck while we're here Um, (laughs) as opposed to there being any actual yeah reason for the connection other than their proximity on these other things and that's what as we talked about that's what when you do it right you understand the character's desire to be with each other not just within the working environment and i think that makes a big difference I i still think the the best thing about fringe uh was was the Walternet. That was still the the, be, the best thing about that entire series. Walter um, was awesome. <laughs> Walter him. and and his Walternet were the just the absolute best. I love that actor. Um, John Noble is fantastic. Mm. Tying back into the Star Trek universe, he's actually doing a voice on Star Trek Prodigy, uh, the Nickelodeon show mm. on Paramount Plus, the main villain of the first season, and he's fantastic as it. So definitely, definitely here for that. For me, the most recent, I would think, and most glaring bad example was the completely unnecessary Kylo Ren, Ben Solo, whatever you want to call him, and Rey Skywalker ending up, however briefly, together at the end of Rise of Skywalker. It was one of those things like you, you could see they were trying to build up to it. And they were making yeah. you want to want it, but it still just felt slimy and gross and kind of just ugh, the entire time. And then when it did actually happen, it was even worse. Like you knew it was mm. going to be gross. And when it happened, you're just like, ugh. Luke kissing Leia after, <laughs> no, af- after we know was less gross. <laughs> and these two weren't related. They had so much opportunity to make that good with Kylo and Ray. They could have, they could have, but they didn't. They just, they took it too far in opposite directions till like you said, at the end, it was just slimy and, and gross and weird. And no, I never wanted it from, from, I kind of went into it assuming that that's what they were going to do. And so I was waiting for it. But I never wanted it. I was like, yeah, no. It was always, there, there was always the question mark of, wait a minute, are they related somehow? Yeah. And then as soon as they revealed that she wasn't directly related to him, I was like, oh, they're going to do this, aren't they? And honestly, that's one of my only complaints about the new trilogy. Mm-hmm. I absolutely loved the new trilogy just in general. I loved the first two especially for exactly the reasons most of the people who said they didn't like it said they didn't like it. I loved the first one 
because it seemed like it was A New Hope being redone. And people are all, all like, complaining, oh, it's just, they basically just redid A New Hope. And I was like, yeah, exactly. They brought us yeah. back. They brought it back around full circle. They got they got the taste of that prequel trilogy out of our mouths and kind of reset our palate. And then the second movie, it was like, well, the, they just threw all our expectations out the window. And I was like, yeah, they did. And it was fantastic. <laughs> I loved it. Just right from the very opening with Luke throwing the lightsaber over his shoulder and walking away, you're like, oh, oh, this is what we're doing. Okay. All right. And yeah, I was 100% on board for both of those because of that. The third movie I really enjoyed as well. Story-wise, other than that bit, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. But yeah, that, that, there, yeah, there was no reason for them to, at that point, have a romantic relationship at all. Had they spent more time developing it in the earlier movies, I might not have felt as grossed out by it when it came to the end. But okay. the way they did it, I, I was not a fan. Neither was I. I concur with that, yeah. On to the, the second uh, portion of tonight's episode, which is where we allow you, our guest, to... Uh, Speak about your work specifically and tell us a little bit about what you're doing in the sci-fi romance world. Well, I am finishing up the eighth, I call it the eighth book in the saga, even though it's this the separate series. So the eighth book in the Future Possible saga. Uh, this saga asked the question, this is where I started with it, was asked the question, what if we had first contact in the early part of the 21st century? And I wanted to take an approach that was different than, you know, aliens busting out of your chests and you know, everything being so uh, black and white to draw more question into the existence of aliens. And in the world that we're in, how willing would we be to accept their promises? And that was a big premise of the, the first part of the series was how ready we were as mankind to just say oh okay that's cool uh you're gonna fix all our ailments that's great uh we're gonna have world peace awesome sign me up there was a, a darkness behind that and the intent of why these aliens were doing what they were doing so the entire series is not only coming to the realization of what they wanted but fighting against it what that culminated in for basically war on our planet. And the second series is the recovery of that, what we had to do to maintain our existence because so much happened at the end of the first series that wiped out so much of mankind. We didn't have a whole lot to work with. We didn't have a big population to rebuild with and we had to be very careful with what we did. And of course we then had both allies and enemies. So that is um, the the book that's coming out next month is the tie-in, the tie-up of all the strings, or most of the strings probably, <laughs> probably forgot something or left something off, but uh, the whole full circle of how we're recovering and how we are like the phoenix rising from the ashes, we will rise again and we will keep going and we will stay here and uh, stay alive and be humanity. It's a common thread throughout most science fiction, especially science fiction that deals with alien races and space and things like that, is the eventual overcoming of, of, of adversity by humankind. 
in some mm. way, shape, or form. Um, I think that's in some ways almost a hallmark of science fiction in itself. No matter what these other, you know, they, they always bring all these other aliens to the table and they've got these, oh, this one's super strong, this one's super smart, these ones are super logical, you know, they've got these all these supposed advantages over humans, but yet we through perseverance, through whatever it is we, we managed to overcome, builds up our hope in ourselves that we would be able to to rise up to that challenge if something were to, to come. So I, I do appreciate that. Um, as I said, I have read the first quartet, I guess. Uh, is, that yes. a, is that a what they call quartet. it? Quartet. Okay. Yeah, quartet. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I was like, it's, like, it's, not, it's not a quadrilogy. That, that just sounds weird. Um, <laughs> so the first four books in the in the of the sagas. So I guess the first saga then is that the first series of the saga. So the first two series, series of in, the, the saga. in the bigger saga. Okay. Yes. So I, I have read the first four books. They're fantastic. Really enjoyed them. I will be reading the remaining four as soon as I have time. Now I have to decide if I'm going to do that first or watch Farscape first. So now I'm in a conundrum <laughs> there. So um, uh, decisions, that, decisions, that. decisions. <laughs> if one wants to get your books, where would they uh, best be able to find them? I have switched all of them uh, inclusively to Amazon right now just to get the ball rolling again. So they're all available as Kindle for ebooks. They are also on Kindle Unlimited. Mm -hmm. So if you uh, subscribe to Kindle Unlimited, they are there as well. And they are all available print through Amazon as well. I am going through the process right now of doing some updates, kind of prettying up the inside, and I'm adding that future possible saga to the covers because the funny story is <laughs> when I wrote the first series, I had no intention of doing a second series. I actually finished uh, Endgame, the fourth book, and I thought, well, okay, that was great. I wrote a science fiction series. That was fun. And I thought it was done. So that's why it was just um, the Phoenix Rebellion series. And then probably about Two years after that, my muse started whispering, yeah, but what happened next? I mean, you can't just leave it like that. So that's how the second series uh, came to be. And that's when I decided I needed kind of a bigger arc, you know, some something to encompass all of them. And that's where the future possible saga came from. And that came from a review. Somebody actually uh, said that, the books told of a future that was far too possible. And I went, ooh, I like that. Yoink, <laughs> taking that. Let me, let me just write that down. <laughs> so that's where that came from. And at this point, I've, not, I've decided that I just can't say whenever anything is done. We're just going to keep going as long as ideas will come to me enough to formulate something to write, I will write more in them. That's why you leave those little threads hanging, because if you leave enough of them, you can weave them back together into something exactly. else. So there you go. Exactly. And don't worry, anybody listening who is uh, listening anywhere other than the primary website, if you do go to foureyedradio.com and look at this episode, the links for all of these will be in the notes for this episode. So if you're listening on uh, any of the other platforms that don't include all of the show notes, Head on over to foreheadradio.com and we'll have you we'll have you sorted out with all the links and everything, so you'll be able to find everything. Thank you. So, speaking of the upcoming release, you do have the final book in the second quartet coming out very soon. Uh, what can you tell us without giving away too much about this this final book that uh, my wife is so excited about? 
it's the longest book I've ever written. I'll put it. I'll put that out there. It is. It is a hefty, chunky book. So be prepared to to commit some time to it because I had a lot of those strings that you were talking about. <laughs> I had a lot of strings uh, to bring together without giving too much to you, since you haven't read the the quartet, <laughs> the second quartet yet. The second series picks up about a year after the end of Endgame, with the end of the first series. So they are still very deep in the ravages of war, you know, what has happened to them. This entire second series only spans about a year total. So uh, there is a lot of rebuilding. There is a lot of figuring out what they're going to do and how they're going to do it. Like you talked about where mankind is always like, well, we're mankind and we're going to, you know, we persevere because we're mankind. There's a little bit of that where they're kind of like, we appreciate your help, but, you know, we're still us kind of uh, conversations going on there. It's an introduction of a lot more aliens uh, incorporated into the story, Mm -hmm. but there's also enemies right on Earth. Um, they're called Xenos, so from the word xenophobe, they don't want any alien contact. They don't want anybody on Earth that's that's alien. So there's there's all of these different factions coming at the guy running the show. I don't want to give away too much again. The guy running the show, you know who it is. This final book is the roll up through all of those books to this another big bang moment. Let's put it that way. And how are we going to come out of that? Because we are a world that has been um, beaten up pretty bad. And how do we deal with that? The focus of this last book, the primary character is a man named David Fort, who I call him a man out of time in that he was a man that was captured by the bad aliens in 2011, so way before anything came out, way before anybody knew anything. And he is found in stasis in 2054, and that is when these books happen. And so he's out of his time, right? He's out of, he is, uh, he calls himself Buck Rogers sometimes, <laughs> you know, he has different names for himself. So he's trying to figure out this world that he's in that is so foreign to anything that he ever would have imagined, trying to rebuild a life trying to rebuild himself, his body. He ends up being the guy that might actually save the world. So that is the the crutch of uh, the fourth book is him rebuilding everything. And um, does he manage to do it and save us all? <laughs> so say we all. You'll have to uh, read it to find out. That's, that's how it works. <laughs> Follow those links. It sounds amazing. Um, the first four books, like I said, were fantastic. I am looking forward to reading the culmination of the, the second series as well. You, you teased some some threads dangling, uh, some possibility for, for some future to this particular series. Do you have any and more? And most to- of the characters from the first series mm-hmm. are in the second series. So it you get to revisit. I know that Amy likes to do that. She <laughs> she enjoys revisiting with them. And that is definitely an ongoing part of the story is that nobody goes away. Everybody that was there in, in the first quartet, they're still fighting the fight. They're still in the, in the thick of things. Right. And we're just meeting new people and adding more layers to it. Right. That's awesome. That, yeah, that sounds fantastic because uh, when you get invested in these characters... And it's very easy to do with your characters, by the way, to get invested in them. So when you, when you get invested in them, 
it's very satisfying to be able to to come back to them and see what's going on. So I'm very glad to hear that. I have that to look forward to. You teased a little bit about the the possible future of the series. Do you have any more to 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 tease about that, or do you want to hang on to that one for now? It's completely up to you. I don't want you to give away too much. I don't have a whole lot to share other than I have a concept, which is how things usually start. I'm working towards the idea of an additional series that would be called Children of Phoenix. And they are, in essence, the children that are being born and living in the events of uh, these first two series in their adulthood. So it would be probably 30 to 35 years later, we would jump ahead to all of the changes that have happened on Earth, uh, with our allies, with um, advancements, with all of those things, we're just going to be plunged ahead into that. And that is the world that they are living in, and they are the new leaders of the world. I know who, (laughs) (laughs) and I know a couple bits and pieces of what, but I don't have enough threads woven quite yet to get started on that. Um, But it is definitely a plan for that. I am also kind of backtracking a little bit in that I have in the works a prequel single book. It would not be um, a quartet. It wouldn't be. It's a single book that is called Born of Fire. And it would be take it would take place in the early 21st century when all of this before first contact before anyone on Earth has any idea that any of this is coming. But we're seeing some of the background action. We're seeing some people that will be key later. Hint, their name is Tanner. (laughs) (laughs) The the Tanners are pretty important in um, the entire entire series. These are two Tanners that began much of everything in the whole roll through of the story. So those are forthcoming. Awesome. We'll definitely be looking for that as well so that we can uh, catch up with the beginning, the future of, and I need to catch up with the, uh, the now. So so to wrap up a little bit, I know a lot of times when I have discussions like these, I always end up thinking of something else that I thought I wanted to say earlier in the in the show. Did you have anything that, uh, that popped up to mind uh, from our earlier discussions that you wanted to add in now? The one thing that I would say for anybody wondering if this is a series that might interest them if they are science fiction fans at all, I define the series as Stargate with a touch of Farscape. So like the feel of Stargate SG-1, when you think of that television show, where it is Earth-based, but there's a lot going on that, you know, the general population may not know about, but they're interacting with aliens and there's things like that. So it has that kind of feel to it. It feels very familiar to somebody who also may not read a lot of science fiction. I have had people who say they're not big into science fiction, but they read the future possible saga and they don't feel like they're so caught up in the science fiction of science fiction. So they feel like they're in a familiar world, but it is out there as well. So it brings them out. So, so those are some things that people are wondering if this is a series that they might be interested in. If you like Stargate, if you like Farscape, you would probably enjoy the future possible saga. If you're curious about science fiction, but haven't really read it, I think that you would do well with uh, the future possible saga if you enjoy romance, if you enjoy action, if you enjoy those uh, in-depth storytelling. 
you're going to be okay with this. You're not going to find, uh, I, I, I hate to mock other TV, sh- uh, other books, but you're not going to find giant blue aliens taking you to a planet to be their fated mate and rebuild their society because suddenly human women are the only way to do that. That doesn't happen in my books. That's that's not the kind of science fiction romance I'm writing. <laughs> so uh, I have to say the, the books that I've read thus far have been fantastic. And yeah, you're right. They don't have the... Some science fiction gets a little too science-y, not enough fiction-y, in my opinion. I only need that, like, technical information if I'm so far removed from the story that I'm asking those questions. If I'm not invested in the story and I'm thinking, well, well, how would they do that then? Then you're probably not doing doing the right job as a storyteller at that point. (laughs) I try to incorporate enough so that you're convinced that the characters know what they're talking about. (laughs) You don't have to know the laws of physics to know that this guy who is doing this thing knows the laws of physics. My scientific research is limited. I I don't do much. I probably did most, the the most in doing Libert than I did in any of them because I had so many things that I was bringing in. I found some really cool information that, I love it when I've been building up something for eight books and I find out that it actually is based in some form of possible reality. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, that's cool. I touched on, uh, what did it call? Prominent recessive genes. Like, this didn't work into the book, but did you know that dominant gene for humans is to have six fingers? But so many of us have five fingers that it is now the prominent recessive gene so it's recessive but so many of us have it that that's what everybody has so that's an element that i talk about but in in a small bit it's not (laughs) enough to to overpower you i usually try to have people in the conversation who they may know what they're talking about but you're not in their head right now you're somebody getting that information from them so they're giving it to you in such a way that you're not overwhelmed with it. So I do try to ground a little bit, but not too much. I don't need to know everything. And I don't think, like you said, I don't think the reader needs to know. I doubt anybody is going to ever email me and be like, you know, when you were talking about that special kind of drive and that alien ship, I think that it probably would have worked this way or that way. It's completely theoretical. Absolutely theoretical. But did I convince you that I knew what I was talking about? That's what I need to do. There, so. Yeah, the, the, the right amount of technobabble is mm. absolutely allowed because you do want the characters to sound like they know what they're talking about. And that is that's definitely important. But, yeah, when it gets too too much into just that, that's when it can become like, okay, what, what, what was the story about again? <laughs> like, am I reading a technical manual on how a theoretical warp drive might work or am I – reading a, a, a Star Trek story. Like, what's what's happening here? I'm happy to say I that your books are I use characters that. sometimes who, I'll put characters in the scene who would not understand this, and they may go, okay, is it going to work? And that's where you can kind of stop it because they don't want to know. The reader doesn't need to know. Just just go with it. Yeah, It's a good way to prevent two characters from just going back and forth forever yeah. if they okay well these two characters know what they're talking about but does anybody care beyond <laughs> these two <laughs> <That's right. laughs> so overall uh, you know to kind of close out a little bit just do want to uh, get some just overall thoughts about how we feel about the role 
of of romance specifically in the the sci-fi genre i grew up in an era that when i was young girls weren't supposed to even like science fiction <laughs> you know they told us girls girls can't like science fiction and then i was told girls can't write science fiction and then i was told you can't put romance in science fiction because it's science fiction. My opinion of that is unless you are writing a type of race or a type of science fiction that excludes regular sexual reproduction, you're probably going to have romance in there somewhere. So there's always a place for it. There are races that you could create that don't. Maybe they clone, maybe they you know do whatever. But most of our science fiction like you said, is, is we're grounded in the humanity of it, right? We can believe a lot of things as long as we have that grounding in humanity. A huge part of being human is loving and is loving a person as a partner, loving a family member, loving people in your life, caring for them. So how can you remove that and still have a book or a movie or a TV show that feels real? It can't. It doesn't feel real to me if that's not there. That's I, how I feel. Yeah, I definitely agree. And like, like I said, it really brings a, a grounding mm. to the to the story. It's not that it has to necessarily be the main factor, but if it's missing, it's noticeable. And yeah. it's even more noticeable, I think, if it's tacked on, if it's added as an afterthought or added just because like, oh, I guess we need something here. Thank you again for, for joining me for this. Talked briefly about where to find the specific books. And like I said, we're going to have those links in the show notes for this episode. But uh, tell people where they can find uh, you out on the out on the internet and social media and such. Okay. Well, I have my main webpage, which is uh, gaildelaney.com. At the time I bought my address, Gail R. Delaney wasn't available. <laughs> Maybe there's another Gail R. Delaney out there, but I have stuck with it uh, for 15 or so years now. So it's gaildelaney.com. Probably one of the easiest things to do to find me on social media is to go there and to click on the social media links. But uh, I do have Gail R. Delaney author on Facebook. I do also have a separate Facebook page for the Future Possible Saga which is The Future Possible Saga, a science fiction series by Gail R. Delaney. I'm on Instagram as Gail R. Delaney author, and I'm on TikTok as Gail R. Delaney novelist. I am probably most active in the social media venues on TikTok. <laughs> so, um, but I do post at the other spots uh, regularly at gaildelaney.com if you are interested in autographed copies of any of my books print copies they can be purchased through there there'll be a bit of a pause right now because i am as i said redoing some of the reformatting and things like that but once i have all of that done if anybody wanted actual signed copies you can get them directly from me through my website and it's the tab that says shop Thank you for listening to Interstellar Comms with Eric right here on the Four-Eyed Radio Network. For more information about the show, including our social media accounts, contact information, and more details about our guests, visit interstellarcoms.com. I'll be back soon with another amazing guest, so keep those comm channels open and watch for the signal.